0: I pray, Lord, as we look at this passage, as we think about this question of what we're hungry for, Lord, would you do something with our appetites? Spirit of God, would you right now open up the eyes of our hearts, help us to see the ways that you are calling us, into repentance, help us to see the ways that you're calling us towards greater and stronger faith in you. Jesus, you are the one that changes everything, so we trust that you, by, your, by the Spirit, as we talk to our Father, that you would do a work. We love you, in your name we pray, amen. So we are in the final week of our Jesus Changes Everything sermon series. By the way, it's not the final week of us talking about how Jesus changes everything, because that's what we're about here. So we'll we'll continue to use that language. But we are talking about what are the implications. If Jesus changes everything, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the new, the old has passed, the new has come. What does that mean for the people of God? How do we live those truths out here in 2022, we've talked about how because Jesus changes everything, everyone is welcomed. Because Jesus changes everything, everyone is growing, everyone's empowered. And it's not just about everyone, it's also about everywhere. Because Jesus changes everything, everywhere we go, we pray in Jesus. Because Jesus changes everything, everywhere we show up with the love of Jesus. And today we're talking about everywhere. Because Jesus changes everything, everywhere, we hunger to share Jesus. This word for hunger I've thought about a lot. A while back I was given a book by a friend called The Ideal Team Player. And it talks about how as you you have a good team, there's these pieces, these three pieces that you need on a good team. Humble, hungry, and smart. And we talk about being hungry, it's not just talking about like an appetite to eat. I'm really good at that. I'm always hungry. I love to eat. I think it's my spiritual gift. <laughs> but hunger is, is meant to be a word of, of this drive in you. It's something in you that, 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 that when you wake up in the morning, what gets you out of bed and you think, I'm going to go and do this, it's this drive, it's this, it's this, it's this powerful drive to accomplish things, to, to, to win the day. And as we think about this today, my question that I would like to frame this message with is what are you hungry for? What are you running after in life? Could it be your career? Is it about success? Is it about your family and and having security and and comfort? Is it about adventure and and, and you you don't wanna miss out on, on, you wanna seize every day and you don't wanna miss out? Is it about building a following and and, and building a, a brand? Is it about Winning the Little League Championship game? It was about for me, so my hopes were dashed this week. Okay. What is it about for you? What do you hunger for? My conviction, church, is that we must answer this together, is that we are a people who hunger to share Jesus. Like that hunger, that ideal team player, that motivation, that fuel that that gets us going is this hunger to share Jesus. You see, we all hunger for something. The real question is, what is your appetite? What is your desires? Augustine talks about how we have these disordered desires in life, and Christ, by his power, is calling us to have the right ordered desires. And so today it seems to me as we're looking at 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is writing to the church. It's the early church and they're dealing with all of these tensions. You see, they got this new mix of Jew and Gentile and all these people are starting to worship together that used to never be in a room together. And there's all these challenges, dietary challenges, religious challenges, People are saying, well, we can worship with us, but you've got you to follow these customs that we have. And Paul is writing to the church, and he's writing about their hunger. And he says this, he, he's talking to the church, he's dealing with this tension, he says, though I am free, and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why? This is the hunger. To win as many as possible. To win as many as possible. As I read this, I ask myself and I'd ask you, church, what is the win? What are we after? What are we trying to win today? Is it an argument? Is it to make a point? Is it about a political ideology? Is it a fanaticism? Or is it that you may win them to Jesus Christ? That you may share something? As we look at this, it seems to me that Paul, as he's calling the church, calling you and I, because Jesus changes everything to have this appetite this hunger to share him, he's talking about the way that we share. And it seems to me that in this text, there's, and even in today's culture, there's really three ways that we can, that we can land. And really two of those ways are very clear, and I think that Paul is getting at a third way that is incredibly important and nuanced. So as we think about this question, how do I have this hunger, how do I share Jesus, I wanna talk about in this text the three ways, two uh, fallen ways, and then one, the way that we want to live in as a people of Jesus. So I would say there's three ways of sharing Jesus. The first way that we can find ourselves following, falling into, that Paul is cautioning the church in, I would say, is the way of the castle. And the language of the way of the castle is to go and convert the outsider. We build up our walls. We have a moat. We have a drawbridge. And we got to be a safe community. we got to protect ourselves from the outsiders because they may threaten our faith. Or they may threaten our security. Or they may threaten our comfort. Or they may threaten the way that we love to do things. And every once in a while, we'll find a brave knight, and that brave knight will, 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 put up, will load them up with armor, we'll give them some money, and we'll send them out the drawbridge, and we'll say, you go, and you do this, and then we'll lay the drawbridge, we'll, we'll say a prayer over them, and we send them out, and then we put the drawbridge up, and we say, grace and peace, it's the way of the castle. And I I can laugh about that, but I think oftentimes we have a tendency as the church to fall into this way. To fall into even our worship services in the way that we do church to be about kind of building up our walls and protecting our traditions and our styles and our preferences. And telling people it's okay for you to worship with us. But in order to do so, you you need to dress a certain way. You need to talk a certain way. You you need to have things figured out a certain way. Once you convert, then you can come. I believe here Paul is warning. Look at what he says here in verse 20. He says, to the Jews, I became a Jew. To win the Jews, to those under the law, I became like one under the law. It's really important, notice the parentheses Paul here, puts here. I think these parentheses are really important. He says, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. So he's talking to the religious Jews at the day, and he's saying, I'm going to, because I care so much that Jesus changes everything, I'm going to do my best to still be in the community, to be a part of this community, but I'm free now. He says, I'm no longer under the law. Now, he's not saying that he is going to go against the law. He's saying that the Christian confession is that Jesus Christ has completed the law. When Jesus said, and he came, and in the the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And we believe that in Christ, by his grace, the law is complete. We are a people of Jesus. And so we no longer live under the old covenant. And so Paul here is talking about some of the old covenantal ways. This relates to the dietary customs. This relates to circumcision, the things that the Jewish people practice. And he says, I'm no longer under that. But notice here, he doesn't just throw that out. He says, I still honor that in this community so that I may win those. We see this. It's the way of the castle that he's warning us against. The second way, I would say, is the way of the chameleon. And this would be the way of just adopt the culture. It's just saying, you know what? The appetite for you should be Just get as much approval from those in the world, from those that you're going to serve, and and we have no sort of walls at all, and we just kind of go everywhere and just be you and just love people, and it doesn't matter how they live. It doesn't really even matter what their ethics are. Just keep loving them. Be with them. Be a chameleon, adapt to, to, to what they're doing, partake. And it's not, listen, it's about adopting. It's, it's, Paul is warning the church here that yes, you're to be in the world but not of the world. Look at what he says here. He says, to those not having the law. He's talking about the Gentiles here. He says, I become like one not having the law. Now look at the parentheses. the parentheses is important. Though I am not free from God's law, but i am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, when he says under Christ's law, this is talking about the ways of the kingdom. This is talking about the ethics, the economy of the kingdom of God that still submits to the law of God, that still says the Lord has ways that he's called his people to live that are best for us. So this means that even though we're to be in the world, we're still not of the world. So we still have a biblical sexual ethic. We still have a strong belief about, about about what God says about marriage. We still have strong beliefs that maybe run contrary to today's age, and we are not meant to deny those truths if they are being if they are if 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 they are causing us to compromise the ways of Jesus. But some of the styles, some of the, the, the other things, Paul saying, I, 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 I'm not gonna let those things be what hinders me, be what hinders somebody else. I'm not gonna compromise my ethical convictions of the ways of Jesus. But these other secondary things, he says, I'm going to become like them. It's this challenge here. And oftentimes we live in what we think needs to be this dichotomy of either you're left or you're right. Either you're blue or you're red. Let me say it more clearly. Either you're Republican or you're Democrat. Either you're a Giants fan or a Dodger fan. Either you're this or you're that. And we want to live in these dichotomies and it becomes about us and them and we live in our castles. And Paul here, I believe with all my heart as he's talking to the church, as he's talking to a people, as Doug talked about at Pentecost, that are united in Christ, he's saying to them, church, there's a third way. There's a third way. I would encourage you, if you're interested in, thinking more about what it means to be this third way to read the writings of Tim Keller. He wrote a book called The Reason for God. A wonderful apologetic about this third way, about God's people being called into a third way. What do we mean by that? I would tell you this. This third way is not about winning an argument. It's not about making a point. It's not about compromising a conviction. It's the way of the cross. It's the way of the cross. It's the way of liberated sinners. It's the way of liberated sinners. Look at how Paul opens this this statement here. He says, for though I am free, I have made myself like a servant. Why? Because Christ himself Fully God became a man, humbled himself even to death on a cross so that we could live. And this is the way of God's people. It's the way of the cross, it's the cruciform life, it's it's liberated servitude. It's saying, because of what Christ has done, I'm free. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer a slave to the attacks of this world. Christ has freed me, and he's freed me to a life of the cross. And it's not a burden. It's a freedom. It's a comfort. It's a confession of people that sing, I am no longer a slave to fear, I'm a child of God. It's a confession of a people who say, it's not even about what I'm doing per se, but about who I am, liberated, heir of God. This is what Christ says to his disciples. He says to the people, he starts talking to them about being free, and they ask, well, we were never a slave. And he says, actually, you are a slave. He says, I, he says, you're a slave if you're living in sin, but when you're an an heir of God, when you're a child of God, adopted by God, you, you become free, Says if the sun sets you free, then what? You will be free indeed. We are a people that are liberated from sin and from evil. And the truth is that we believe, church, is that anyone can get in on this. This is why every Sunday we do a gospel welcome. We want everyone to be reminded that what, what we are here for is the beauty of the cross and the resurrected Savior. We believe this to be true. And so our confession is not so much about what we do or where we're going, but about who we are. Church, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but that I belong body and soul. What in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? We are liberated exiles, And this is why Paul, when he's writing to the church, and he's writing to them who find themselves in this tension of, of the ways of the castle or the ways of the chameleon, he says, no, we live in the way of the cross. He says, to the weak, I become weak. He says, to win the weak, is I become all things To all people, so that by all possible means, I might save, what, some. What's the win, church? What's the win, my beloved brother, sister? It must be for cold, dark, hurting hearts to come to know Christ who puts dead, cold hearts to life. Who is the king of resurrection, the win is saved souls. The wind are people who say, Jesus is changing everything. He's changed me. Jesus has changed me, and this is the why of this. You would say, what is your hunger? It's important that we recognize that our hunger is not just some fleeting appetite. There's a why to our hunger. That fosters a hunger in it. What is the why of sharing Jesus? Why should I go out and share Jesus with my neighbor? Why should I go out and share Jesus with my enemy? Why should I go out and share Jesus with that person who had that post that deeply offended me? Because Jesus changed me. Do we believe it? Do we believe it to be true? Or are we just practicing religion, friends? No. This is why Paul says, I do all of this. This is the why. We got the way, but what's the why? I do all of this for the sake of what? The gospel. That I may share in its blessings. Look, look at that verse. There's so many juicy words that we need to squeeze right now. The gospel, what's the gospel? Jesus changes everything. I once was dead and now I'm alive. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Jesus, not me, not your pastor, not your church changes everything. Jesus changes everything. This is the gospel. And what do I do that I may what? Share in its blessings. I love that word share. Church, we miss this. Is the gospel good news? Is the gospel good news? Is it good news that I have, that I eat every day that I want to share with my friends? Sharing means I'm also partaking in it. Does that make sense? Think of sharing a meal together. Think of sharing that candy bar, children. Right? We do get some of it. There's this sharing and he says that I may share in its blessing. This is so profound to me that he uses the word blessing. You know what this would've done to the Jewish reader? When they see that word blessing, you know what that would've done? That would've been what we call a hyperlink today. It would've taken them all the way back down the story of God's story in the scriptures of humanity of a guy named Abraham who reminded them of a time when God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm gonna make a covenant with you and I'm gonna make you a great people and you, my people, are gonna be what? A blessing. And it says, and you will bless others. You see what Paul's saying here? He's saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise to Father Abraham. He's calling you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, to partake in that promise. And that promise is a way of the cross. Oftentimes when we think of freedom, we think of it like little children. We think of it in a very irresponsible way. I saw this this week from a pastor named Derwin Gray. He said this, freedom is not doing what you want to do. Five-year-old undisciplined children do that, amen? Can I get a witness? (laughs) True freedom is a life of sacrificial love that moves you to do what is best for others. True freedom is a life of sacrificial love that moves you to do what is best for others. I even think about Memorial Day weekend. Just the freedom that moves you. The freedom to make incredible sacrifice for the sake of the community, for the sake of the brothers and sisters in your life. To believe that if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Beloved, are you living the life of liberated? Servitude. As we ask this question, I want to go back to where we started and ask you how will you how will we foster a hunger for sharing Jesus? I've been thinking about this all week. Father, how how how, how can I develop a hunger in me that is more than my ego? that is more than my desires, my, my, my flesh, that just tries to make it about, about me succeeding, about me getting glory. How can I have a hunger just to share you, Jesus? I was thinking about this, and then I just started thinking about the metaphor of hunger. Well, what, do I, what, what can we do to build the right kind of hunger? I think two things I'd like to, you to think about as we, as we picture together and reflect together on what it means to be a community that hungers to share Jesus. First, I'd like you to think about our diet, and I'd like you to think about exercise. I know, I know, there we go again. It always comes back to diet and exercise, right? Man, can't get around those two things. First, the exercise. Part of being a community is working hard together, exercising together believing that God is calling us on mission, believing that he's called us to do more than just be fat, lazy Christians. (laughs) To really work out our faith with fear and trembling, to, to spend the time, as we've talked about, of growing in Jesus, of abiding in his word, and using the gifts that he's given us in the church, in the community, to truly exercise this. I was reading a book by a guy named Alan Hirsch called The Forgotten Way, and he talks about this this need for the community, for for true hunger that builds when you have a collected mission. And we miss this in today. We talk about being a community church. He talks about this other word. There's this this anthropologist who studied this, this tribe, and the tribe, they, they, they would have the, the mothers that would raise their children up to 13 years of age. And then when their boys turned 13 and they became men, the fathers would take the children and they would take them away and they would put them in the wilderness. And there was something about these boys who were who had this desire to live, that they would bond together and feel this, and and they would learn what it means to be a man, and they would learn what it means to, 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 to survive, and they would build this incredible, he would call it, communitas together. Because they had this collective need to survive, this collective need, this hunger in them together to be on a mission This is what we're about here, church. This is what the go and make disciples is saying when Jesus tells us, Alan Hurst says this, he says, this sense Turner calls communitas. Communitas, in his view, happens in situations where individuals are drawn to find each other through a common experience of ordeal, humbling, transition, and marginalization. It involves intense feelings of social togetherness and belonging brought about by having to rely on each other in order to survive. In our day and age, in the day of the castle, in the day of comfort and security, I think we miss this communitas. Jesus has called us, church, to be on mission to have this collective desire that just says, whatever it is that we can do so that we might save some, I, I will give up the fact that they're not singing my song this week. I will give up the fact that, that, that the style is a little different. I will, give up the, I will give up even though I used to love the way that we used to do things. We had 11, 12 people baptized last week. That's what we're about. I will give I, I will. And it's not about like, just throwing out traditions or throwing out the old way. That's not, we still honor that, we still do that. But we must be a people together that are saying, we are about winning souls. And the only one, hear this though, the only one that wins souls is Jesus. And yet he uses his church. He uses the family of God, as the instrument to declare his kingdom. And that's what we're invited into. So I would encourage you to be thinking about that exercise. How are you exercising your faith? How are you going and sharing Jesus? And I'd like to close by just reminding you of your diet. What are you eating? I've learned over the years, if I eat sugar and Dr. Pepper and a lot of bread, I just get fatter and fatter. Really depressing, because I really love those things. I think sometimes in the church, we can get so caught up in eating the wrong things that we're missing the very personal presence and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to reflect on the practices that you have. It seems to me that growing in Jesus relates to discipline in our life too. To saying that I know that I need to eat of the very presence of Christ. I know that every day, ideally every minute, I'm gonna have this awareness to his presence in my life because I need his grace in my life I would encourage you I would exhort you to be thinking about where in the rhythms of your day in the rhythms of your week are you having a steady diet of the grace and the truth of Jesus in your life it probably involves some way of reading his word It probably involves some way of talking to him and praying to him. It probably involves some way of being with the bride of Christ and having conversations in community together. I want to encourage you to think on that. Reminded of a story. We'll close with this story and then we'll sing a song. Story of this guy named Thomas McKenzie. And he told the story of this pastor. He had been working in the church for a long time. He was charismatic. He had a very successful church. But all of a sudden, he found out that his wife had had an affair with one of his dear friends. And because his house wasn't in order, the church fired him. And he found that, that all the trappings of, of church, of all the things that he found, his purpose and his, his meaning, all these religious things were gone. And he found himself in this place where he was just like, what do I hunger for? And he showed up to this church. And he had all these questions. And I wanted to read, it was this church, and what they did every week is they had communion every week. Communion is where we eat the bread and we drink the cup. And look what it said. It said, Steve, is, he called him, his name Steve. He didn't have the kind of spiritual life he had always relied on. He had gotten to a place where there was all these doubts and all these questions that he was struggling with about his faith. It says nothing about God made any sense to him. He couldn't even sing the praise songs. He couldn't read the Bible. He couldn't even pray. But he could eat. Steve's mind needed answers. His heart needed to be comforted. His soul needed grace. Sermons weren't giving him answers. And praise music wasn't comforting. But the body of Christ was feeding his inner self. Steve discovered that God was real to him when he ate and he drank Holy Communion. Even though Steve was at the lowest point in his life, a time when he could do nothing to help himself, he was still able to receive this sacrament. Church, when we say we hunger to share Jesus, it's because we're hungry for Jesus. When we say that Jesus changes everything, church, next week we get to have communion and we can't wait for it next week by the way, you don't need just communion to be eating of the very presence of Christ. He's given us that for those moments where we taste the bread and we drink the cup to remember that he broke his body for you. He shed his righteous blood for you so that you can live in that. And I think sometimes, I'm talking right now to a mirror, sometimes. We lose the appetite because we've forgotten what we're supposed to be eating. We're supposed to be eating the very grace of Christ. Over and over and over again, we're called to be in Christ. We're called to be a people that live in the grace. That is by grace you have been saved through faith. So as we think about what it means to hunger to share Jesus, church, don't let this be a message that's just about you going and telling people. It needs to start with the hunger in your heart. It needs to start with the gospel of Jesus Christ telling you, I have gotten you. It doesn't matter what you've done. I I see that hurt. I know you have that have up. I have that. I know you have that hang up. I know that you're struggling with that pornography. I know that you're, you're living in that, that evil. I know that you're trying your best to beat that. And I, here's the grace. And it's okay to not be okay. Just don't stay there. So church, this is why I can't wait every Lord's Day for us to come and to sing of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you. Let's be a people that hunger to share Jesus that hunger as we walk out those doors to say, I have the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be all things to all people so that what? I may win some. That's a winsome word. Receive this word. Lord, Jesus, we pray. Oh Lord, we pray that this would be a place that's about you. We pray that this would be a place that's about A confession that we are people in need of a Savior that your good news is good news because we live with some bad news of our sin and our misery and Jesus you have come alongside and you feed us and Lord I just pray for this room right now I know that for some of us we are in moments of wilderness We are in moments where we say, I hear that, Pastor Logan, but I just don't have that hunger in me. I pray, Spirit of God, that you would give that hunger. I pray, Jesus, that you, our Christ, our King, would reveal yourself in a way in this moment. That right now, everyone sitting here would just have a moment of communion with you that no matter how long it's been since we've spoken to you, no matter what we've done, that we would just recognize that right now we are invited to rest in your arms, the arms of the good shepherd who says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. We rest in you. And Lord, I pray that as we sing of you, I pray that as we sing that you're bigger than we ever thought you could be. As we sing, I believe, help my unbelief, I pray, Lord, that you would start to feed your church, that you would feed us by your spirit with your grace. I pray, God, that we would not be a people who live in the way of the castle or the way of the chameleon. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people of the cross, that we would be a people of the King. And that, Jesus, you would reign in the realm of our hearts. So we give this time to you and we worship you. And we love you. In your name we pray.